0: Thank you for visiting theopenword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaeffer.
1: Anyways, so let's look at the Book of Romans. Last week, we just basically did the um, overview of the book, talking about uh, who it was written to, Romans. Where did we say... um, when do we think Romans, uh, the Roman church began? Who began it? Who started it, do we think? If I had some gold stars, I'd bring some gold, you know, little smiley faces and stick them on your papers. started after Pentecost? After Pentecost, probably, because remember at Pentecost in Jerusalem, there were people from all over the Roman Empire, and most likely some of the believers there from Rome took the message back and started the church. Had Paul visited this church ever? No, no. he said, I wanted to come on multiple occasions but I couldn't because of whatever, all right. He finally did make it there though, didn't he? Um, Courtesy of the Roman government. He did finally get to Rome. And he probably got to Rome somewhere around 62 A.D., give or take. All right, how do we know that? Well, in A.D. 60, he was imprisoned in Caesarea Philippi. And how long was he there? Anybody remember how long he was imprisoned with Felix Festus and all them? About two years, all right? And most likely during those two years in Caesarea Philippi where he was imprisoned, Luke was with him and Luke most likely wrote Luke Acts at that time, all right? He wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote Acts. And where did Luke probably get his material for the Gospel of Luke? What did he do? He interviewed interviewed people. people. He researched it. You say wait a minute I thought the Holy Spirit gave him the book. Yeah, he did, but that doesn't mean the whole, he couldn't use research, right? Where do you think he got the Magnificat? And where do you think he got the nunc dimittis and all those great things? Where did he He probably got them from Mary, He probably talked to her. In fact, he said I made a careful study to research this information. But when he sat down and put it together, who wrote it? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, he compiled the material, but at the end of the day, when he was writing it down, who was guiding his hand as he wrote? It was the Holy Spirit. So we're not getting rid of this inspiration of Scripture out of this thing. All right? So he, he wrote this. And, and then, of course, Acts ends with Paul in Rome in a prison in a prison house. Basically, he was under house arrest at that point. He was not in prison prison. He was under house arrest. Okay? And that's where, that's where the, the book of Acts ends in Acts 28. But in Romans, he says, uh, I'm writing this, and and we read in Romans 16 that it was from Sincrea, which was the sister city to Corinth, remember? If you look at the little isthmus, and you got the little connector land there, Corinth was on the north, Sincrea was on the south. And so he wrote from a metropolitan area, basically a metropolitan city. It was the crossroads of major trade routes, okay? So it was like a sailor's port, all right? Um, by the way, Corinth was probably one of the worst cities to be in at that time. Yeah, think of Hollywood on steroids. Yeah, it's just a very seedy place to be. Oh, Las Vegas off the charts, you know. I mean, luckily I've never, I've been by Las Vegas, but I never went through Las Vegas. You know, you know but it's, it's that kind of city. I mean, every vice known to man, and what do they say, what, stay, what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas? You know, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't want it out of there. But, but the whole point is it's a very metropolitan city. And uh, Paul writes this letter back to Rome. And he doesn't really state why he wrote it, but what we do find in the book of Romans is probably one of the greatest treatises of doctrine that you're going to find. We talked about that. All, all major Bible doctrines you can find in the book of Romans. The doctrine of salvation, doctrine of Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, the church, spiritual gifts, Everything is all here in the book of Romans. He hits it at one point. And so he starts out in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. In those days, you started out by not putting your name at the end of the letter. You put the name at the beginning of the letter. All right. So you knew who was writing you. (laughs) Um, So he puts his name first, Paul, and he says, I'm a servant of Christ. Now, when you see servant, what do you think of? What do you think of when you, we see the word servant?
0: Take care of you, take care of your needs.
1: Somebody takes care of things, right? Like a butler or a maid or something Under like that.
0: Under submission.
1: Under submission. Somebody works for you.
0: Subservient.
1: Huh? Subservient. A subservient. They're, they're, yeah. The Greek word here is doulos. What's the word doulos mean? Do anybody know? Slave. Slave. This is slave, this is not servant. See, our problem is when, when we think of servant, we think of somebody voluntarily serving somebody else, like a job. That wasn't, that wasn't what you saw in those days. And every, In fact, every time you see the word servant in your New Testament, you could swap out and put slave in there. And uh, a slave was somebody who didn't have a option, right? They were under obligation. They were owned by a master, basically. And we don't like talking about that because of all the negative connotations that we have in our society on slavery, all right? But in the New Testament, the word there is slave. Paul says, I'm a slave of Christ. In fact, later on in Romans 6, he says, we are what? If you're a believer, you're a slave of Christ. You say, I don't like that. I want to be free. And in Romans 6, Paul says, well, actually, you're not. Because you're a slave to Christ or you're a slave to what? Sin. You get to pick your master, but you're going to be a slave. All of us are slaves to one or the other. We're not a, we're, none of us are independent. None of us are non slaves. We're all a slave to our sin or a slave to Christ. You get to pick the one you want. All right? So, this idea of I'm going to be free and do my own thing and, and live any way I want, you're a slave to sin. All right? That's, what, that's your master. Okay? But Paul calls himself a slave of Christ Jesus. He's not a servant. It's not voluntary to him. He's under obligation, really, to do that, which he does. And he says, I'm called to be an apostle. And Pastor talked about this a few weeks back. you got apostle with big A and apostle with little a. Are we apostles? Yes, in the sense that we are representatives of Christ, right? He sent us. Really what that means is apostello is somebody you send on your behalf to represent you. So Christ sends us on his behalf to represent him. And that's something I've been thinking about this week a little bit. I represent Christ. I don't represent me. I'm not here for what I get out of this deal. And I really think about that. I I did a, a perspective video blog a few months ago on, on the whole idea of social media and it hit me on social media. I can represent Christ or I can represent something else, but I can't represent both. This is just my thinking on this. I can't represent both. I can't be a proponent for the NRA and a proponent for Christ. I can't be a proponent for a political party and a proponent for Christ in the social media world. Because what happens if you try to do both? Does it work very well? Everybody's upset with you. Everybody's mad, right? I mean, that's the whole point. If it, everybody's mad at you, all right? So, yeah, I might have deep personal convictions about things, but in, in a public social media platform, I've decided I can represent Christ. Or I can represent something else. But I cannot represent both things. All right? Now if you ask me personally what I think, I'll tell you. But I'm not going to go out on social media and promote other stuff because what happens is then it mixes the message, doesn't it? So I've decided personally that when I go to my social media, you look at my social media, I don't talk about anything political. I don't talk about any of the, all the stuff going on. I talk about Bible, God, studies I do, that kind of stuff. And Paul, and, and I think there's something about what Paul is saying here. If I'm called to be an apostle, I'm representing something bigger than me. And I need to be very careful that I represent him well and not let my stuff leak into it. Follow? not let my persuasions leak in. Because it's very easy for us to do that. You don't know how many times I read a post on Facebook and I want to send off a nuclear scud missile bomb. And I figured it ain't going to do any good. It's just going to get everybody mad. And it's going to detract from what I'm really there for, which is to do what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was listening to a very good message this week, and from John MacArthur, of course, my favorite. Yeah, um, yeah, but uh, it was on the parable of the um, of the dry, of the um, soil, uh, not the, the soil, the wheat and the tares. And it was really interesting. He he preached this probably 25 years ago, a long time back. And uh, the point he made is that. And what really came through to me is that, of course, the parable of the wheat and the tares is the, the God sowed good seed. The son of man sowed good seed in his field. And what happened when he was, God's not sleeping, of course, That that's not the point. But the master here, he sowed good seed. And in the night, the enemy came in and sowed in tares to ruin the crop. And by the way, this was common practice. If you want to ruin your neighbor you wait till he seals this field, then you sneak in at night and sow in all kinds of weeds. That'll mess him up quite a bit, all right? So that's what happened there. He, he sowed this, these weeds in the field. And so, then of course, the servants then find out, wait a minute, didn't we sow good seed? Why then is there weeds in the field? What do we do? Do we yank the weeds out? And what did the master tell him not to do? Not to do that. Don't do that. Rather, let them both what? Grow. Grow until the harvest. And what's going to happen in the harvest? He said in the harvest, in the parable, in the harvest, when you do the harvest, gather the weed into the barn, burn the, ch- burn the weeds. And, of course, what is the analogy there? Christ is saying in, the, in this kingdom, in the kingdom of God, which we're in now, what do you have? You have weed and tares, don't you? Now, as you look around, you might see more tares than wheat. <laughs> In fact, it's getting to the point where you see more tares than wheat. But what are we not supposed to do? We're not supposed to do anything. Yeah. We're not supposed to rip up the... rip thing. Who's going to do that? Jesus, that's a great Christ is going to do that, and the angels are going to gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. The angels are going to do the judgment. We don't do the judgment. My job here is not to judge the world. You know, it's, it's not my job to clean up this place. That doesn't mean I don't vote right and things like that. But it's, the point is, you could burn all your energy on that and not do what you're supposed to do. What are you supposed to be doing?
0: Witnessing.
1: You're supposed to be salt and light. Let God worry about the judgment part. There's a part of me that would like to do very bad things to some of our leaders. That's the carnal part of me. But you know what? That's not what I'm here for. What are we to do for our leaders? Pray. Pray for them. That God might save them. Because yes. what's going to happen? If nothing changes for most of these people, what's going to happen in 20 years? Where are they going to be? Hell. Do you really want them to be there? That's not what we're We're called to represent Christ in this world. Paul says... I'm called to be an apostle. I represent somebody bigger than me. And I want to make sure that I get as much out of the way so that I represent him well. See, we get in the way of our own witness sometimes. If you want to represent Christ, you've got to get out of the way so you can represent him. And Paul said, I'm focusing on being a representative of Christ. And that's really what I've come to understand a little bit in my own life. I, you know, I could... I'm very good with words, and I could just roast people and, and take out my, you know, oozy argument gun and start blowing people, and it wouldn't do any good. It wouldn't solve anything. What am I supposed to do? Be a representative of Christ. Let him worry about the judgment piece. I need to call people to repentance. Is there
0: a, a distinction
1: between apostle and disciple? Um, yes. Okay. Um, there are a lot of people that were disciples, right? Timothy was a disciple. Um, Christ had 70 disciples, remember? He sent them out two by two, 70 of them. But when he went up to the mountain to pray and came down, how many did he choose out of the 70? Twelve. Twelve. All right. So they were the apostles. They were the foundation. Well, 11 of them were. Of course, we know about Judas. By the way, Judas did not catch Christ by surprise. He knew exactly what Judas was going to do. All right, this wasn't like, "Oops, how'd he get in the deck?" All right, but so there, there's there's only about there's only twelve, actually thirteen apostles if you count Apostle Paul. And Jim, Pastor Jim talked about this: how to be an apostle. He had to be personally um, commissioned by Christ, personally commissioned by Him. You had to have been a witness to the resurrection. All right, and you were the foundation of the church, and you had a lot of the miraculous sign gifts that you were able to do, at least early on you were able to do those. All right, So that, that was separate. We are a little A apostle because we're all sent ones. But there are no big A apostles to get today in spite of what you see on TV in the church, or TV in other churches where they say this is an apostle church and we got Apostle Joe over here. Um, no, that, that's not what we have today. We are apostles in the sense that we're sent, but we're not apostles in the sense that we're the foundation of the church. Because, by the way, where do you put the foundation? On the, on the bottom. All right. You know, I remodeled my house, but I didn't redo a foundation. The foundation's there. You know, you don't, I, you know, you don't put the foundation on the 10th floor. Um, that goes on the bottom. And the Bible says the apostles and prophets were the foundation of the church. All right. So he says, I'm called to be apostle, and I'm set apart for the gospel of God. What does it mean to be set apart? You're sanctified. By the way, set apart, means to be set apart, to be made holy, to be separated from something else. What was Paul intent on doing in Acts 9 before Christ showed up? What was he out to do? Kill the Christians. Eliminate the way. Protect Judaism. And then something happened on the road to Damascus. Christ showed up. Oops. And what did Christ do? He set him apart. He called him. Christ said, Paul, I'm setting you apart to do something. You are a representative of the good news of God. Now, think about that for yourself. Are you set apart? you sure are you're set apart think about this why did God why did God save you and leave you here to be, a to, to be a witness to others to be a testimony we have a very anthropocentric view of our salvation right it's all about me what I get out of the deal I get heaven, I get joy, happiness, peace, all that kind of stuff. But God didn't save you to make you happy. God saved you to make him happy. And God saved you to be a witness and a testimony to other people. See, the thing...
0: And yet, by saving us, we now have changed our lives. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he changes us, and, and God saved us to make us holy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I've often said, I, I, those, those commercials on TV on, you know, the tide or the gain or whatever it is, you know, you got the little kids coming in, all covered with dirt, and mom washes their clothes and puts them on nice clean clothes, and look how clean the clothes are, and the kids running right back outside to do what? Get in the mud. Get in the mud again, all right? That's not, the way God, that's not why God saved you. God did not save you, bring you and clean you up, say, okay, now go play in the mud, it doesn't matter because you're saved now. You're on your way to heaven, you're okay, go, live your life the way you want. No, God saved you to be set apart, to be holy, to be a testimony, to be a witness. And here's the thing, I you know, maybe something to think about this week. You, wherever you're at, whatever you do, whatever, however you interact in society and the world around you, you are a representative of Christ. And you can make Christ look good or you can make Christ look bad, right? You can make him look good, or you can make him look bad. I remember listening to a pastor one day, one time say, one of the reasons you know, that you know, he and his wife never considered divorce is like, what would that do to the cause of Christ if I did that? Can you imagine the damage? Look at some of these men that have fallen morally. What, what, look at the damage they've done. It's not about you. It's not about what you get out of the deal. It's not about God making you happy. You have a thing beyond you. You represent Christ. You represent God. And everything you do in life is going to either bring somebody to Christ or you're going to nudge them away in a sense. I guess you can be neutral, you know, but the point is we are are pulling people towards Christ or pushing them away. And the way we act and the way we talk and what we say, and that goes back to that social media presence. Now, I don't need to be on social media and push all of my democratic friends away from Christ. Because I happen to be a Republican or vice versa. All right? I don't need to do that. That's not why I'm here, basically. I'm here to represent God, God. And Paul says, listen, I was called to be an apostle. This was not voluntary. I did not wake up one day and do a, what is it? a." a an aptitude assessment, and it comes up, well, Paul, you'd be great as an apostle. That would be, your, you know, that's, that's your job, you know, kind of thing. No, he was chosen by God to do this. It was not voluntary on his part. And he said, woe is me if I don't do this. He was called, and he was set apart for the good news of God, to represent the good news. And by the way, what is the gospel, basically? God's word, the good news. It's good news. And what is the good news overall? Jesus died for, our sin. died for our sins. We can be right with God through the message of the gospel. The good what we call it out The good news. That's that's awesome. What's the greatest question of life? Why am I here? What am I doing? Where am I going, right? Mm-hmm. Well, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Everybody's asking that question. Now, they drown it out with music and booze and drugs and everything else. But the basic at the end of the day, what does everybody want to know? Why am I here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Where does the gospel tell you? This is where you came from. This is why you're here. And this is where you're going. It answers your questions. It's good news. Paul says, I have the best news. I have the best job in the world. I represent Christ. He called me to represent him, to be his ambassador. And I want to be the best ambassador I can be because it's a reflection on him. The way I, re- the way I represent him is a reflection on him. You ever think about that? The way you react to people is a direct reflection on God. If... If they look at your life and they say, well, you're a Christian, but you're living a cruddy lifestyle. What is their view of God? Yeah, it's skewed. Yeah, it must not be real. And Paul says, listen, I am separated this. And this was promised when beforehand. Through prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Where did this good news come from? Where did I get this? Did I just wake up one day and dream it up? It's so anointing of the Spirit, but where did the information, where was it? It's in the Word of God, right? He said, I didn't come up with this stuff. This is in the Word of God. It's promised beforehand in the Holy Scriptures.
0: So the Gospel is
1: not only Jesus died for our sins. The Gospel is explained fully in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3. Right. Yeah, that's the fullness of it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, gospel means good news, and good news is I can be made right with God. Right. Now, we understand now what the fullness of the gospel is, right? Because right. we have it. We're looking back, and we say, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know? But before, back in the Old Testament, was there a gospel in the Old Testament? Was there good news in the Old Testament? No. Yeah, there was, right? In what sense? Not, not, not the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ gospel, but was there good news in the Old Testament? The hope of the Messiah. Not only that, but what did God provide Israel for? What did He give them? The Scriptures, but He gave them away. What? They gave them way back. Did Cain have a way? Did Cain and Abel have a way back to God? What was that? Sacrifice. Cain said, "No, I'm going to bring him vegetables. That's good enough for him." That's good enough for him. He doesn't need any more than that. No. He, and Abel, what did Abel do? Oh, he wants a sacrifice. OK, I'll bring him a sacrifice. I'll do that. That's what he wants.
0: Yeah, basically saying someone's going to have to die.
1: Yeah. And In order and,
0: to bring you into the right relationship with God. Yeah. And uh, oh, by the way, he's coming.
1: Mm-hmm. When he told Eve there's going to be a seed of the woman that's going to crush the head of Satan. Now, did she understand all the full ramifications and implications and all of that of it? No. Absolutely not. In fact, when, when Cain showed up, she thought he was the one. And then she thought Abel was the one, and then Abel was killed, and then she thought, well, maybe Seth is the one. They all lived in that expectation. But early on, God provided a way back. See, God could have just said, well, that, this experiment didn't work. I'll just erase the universe and start over again. He didn't do that. He provided a way back. And by the way, this provision for a way back was there before the foundation of the world. God did not create the universe, create everything, and then when man fell, he says, quick, we've got to figure out a way out of this mess. What do we do now? Christ was foreordained when? Before the foundation of the world to be the Lamb of God. What, ha- what was before the foundation of the world? Nothing. Well, God. God but nothing else. He said this gospel was promised beforehand. Before, before now, it, it's in the, old, in the Old Testament. Remember in Luke, Luke chapter 24, one of my favorite passages. Luke 24, um, you have Cleopas and the other disciple on the road to Emmaus, aren't they? And they're walking along, and who shows up next to them? Well, Christ does. They don't know it's him. I said, what's going on? He said, well, where have you been for the last few days? What's wrong with you? Where, you, know, you should have been watching CNN or Fox News or something to figure out what's going on in the world. Come on, where have you been? The Messiah, we thought he was the one. And he's crucified and it's been three days. He's gone. Their world was shattered. Their world had come to an end. And how did Christ respond to them? He opened scripture, but what did he first tell them? Oh foolish. oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written about me. He didn't say, yeah, you know, I, you know look, I, I get it. The Old Testament's kind of tough to understand. It's complex. You really, you really, I, you know, I told the Holy Spirit he could have made it a lot clearer than he did, but he didn't. How did he respond to these guys? Oh, foolish. And slow of heart. And then what did Christ do? He began with the law and the prophets, and what did he do? What did he show them? How how Christ should suffer and enter into his glory. It is all there in the Old Testament. That's what Paul is talking about here. This is not hidden stuff, it was there. Now, you guys misunderstood it, you didn't get it, but it was there in the Holy Scriptures. From very early on God provided a means and a way back to him. And by the way, if you come God's ways, where which he how does he respond? How did the father respond when the prodigal son returned? He ran and grabbed him and hugged him. How do you think God's going to respond when you repent? You know, I, I grew up, um, you know, with a very legalistic view of God, you know. And I often thought, you know, when I get to heaven, you know, I'm going to meet Christ and he's going to look at me and say, well, you know, you made it, but barely, you know. Look at all the things you did wrong. and Just start listing all the foul-ups and screw-ups in life. And, you know, I had so many plans for you and you just messed it up. You know, what's wrong with you? That, you know, that's how, that's how I thought, really. And I started studying the... God, the parable of the lost son. And I changed my view on that. Because I think when I get to heaven he's going to break out in a big smile that Christ is. He's going to grab me, give me a big hug and say, finally home. Amen. He's not going to sit there and say, you know, I had all these things for you and you blew it and what's wrong with you and because theoretically, can we all do better?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. We kind of pattern after our father. Yeah. human father. We and are. we already know we're all messed up. We do not need to be reminded of how we messed up. When you're in the presence of God, you, he does not need to remind you how bad you are. You, you, you sort of know that. But I think when I see him, it's not going to be one of, oh, you're here now.
0: How <laughs> much one about when one soul, you know?
1: There's more rejoicing in heaven over one soul that repents and over 99 that don't need it. Parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Luke 15. There's rejoicing. Over one. One out of 99, or one out of 100. Then one out of 10, and then one out of two. No, now I might be surprised seeing you there,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> and a lot of you might say, "Schaefer, I didn't know, I didn't think you'd make it, but good to see you." You know, that's what somebody said, and might, you know, we're going to be surprised to seeing some other people there that we didn't think ought to be there. You know, but the whole point there is that this was promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. Now, what scriptures is Paul talking about at this point? What is the scriptures to Paul? The Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. You know, some Christians, they said, I don't need to worry about the Old Testament. You know, I just need to worry about the New. Forget the Old. God's in the Old Testament. If you understand Isaiah 53, somebody said that's like the fifth gospel. Isaiah 53, he bore our sins. He... That's like a gospel in the Old Testament. If you miss that, you miss it. I mean, really, it's there. Now, it wasn't there in all of its fullness like we understand it, right? But it was there. There was a way back. And Paul is saying this gospel, this good news about Christ Jesus, this good news of God was beforehand. You saw it in the Old Testament. It was there. And what was it? It was concerning his son. I mean, look at, look at the theology that we're getting here. We got God, we got eternity past, we got him creating us, we got the Holy Scriptures, and now we got Christ, his son. Now, you've got to understand about the son, you know, this whole Christology thing, doctrine of Christ. Was Is Jesus the eternal God? Yes. Was he always the son of God? In eternity past, he was known as the Son. Before time began, what existed? God. God is a trinity. Trinity is three in one, right? But was he always the Son? Was the Holy Spirit always the Holy Spirit? Was the Father always the Father from eternity past? Probably not, now in creation now you see this relationship, don't you? But in eternity past, you've just got God. Jesus is God. He is fully, 100%, completely God. But when the Bible uses him as the term son, what do we normally think of as a son? He came after. He's subservient to. He's less than. That's not what son means in the Bible. What son means in the Bible is in the Hebrew concept of son. What did the son do usually?
0: Same thing the father
1: did. Same thing the father did. He's a, represent, a representation of the father. He, if you know what the father's like, you look at the son. One, the other. It's an accommodational term for us to help us understand the relationship. Now in the incarnation, did Christ submit his will to the will of the father? Absolutely he did, right? He said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So in the incarnation, the eternal, co-equal, co-existent, omnipotent, second member of the Trinity subjected his will to the will of the Father. And how did he do all of his works? Under what power did he do them? The power of the Holy Spirit. But wait a minute, he's God, he can do what he wants. Yes, he can, right? But what did he do in the incarnation? He submitted himself to the will of the Father, and the things he did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit, so much so that when the religious leader said, you're doing this by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, how did Christ respond? Uh, Boys, you've crossed the line there. You can speak evil against me, but when you start describing what I do to the devil, Basically saying the Holy Spirit is the devil, you've crossed a line. That can't be forgiven, not only now, but in the age to come, which is the kingdom age to them. That's the, you're in trouble on that one. That's the unforgivable, unpardonable sin. You can't go there. Christ is the Son in the sense that he came to represent the Father. In fact, in Colossians, says he is the icon. Icon is an interesting word. It's used to refer to a, stamp, a coin stamp. What's the coin stamp do in those days? We take the stamp and you hit it with a big mallet and it makes an image, right? So Christ is the exact representation of the Father. He is the very image of God. If you want to know what God the Father is like, what do you do? You can look at the Son. What did Christ tell him at the upper room? Philip says, uh, show us the Father and we're happy. And Christ said, don't you get it? If you see me, what have you seen? I'm just like him. I and the Father are one. We're 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 exactly alike. Each member of the Trinity is looking to exalt the other two members. There's an honor we don't understand that. But Christ is the son. He was sent by the Father. Now, did Christ do that involuntarily? No, now listen, you're going to get a lot of bizarreness and and junk out there in evangelical land. There's a lot more noise going out there that says that Jesus Christ, he didn't die for your sins. He did not. He's not a substitute for your sins because God would never kill his son for you. It's it's really a smear on the substitutionary atonement really is what it is. What's the substitutionary atonement? What do we mean by that? He took my place. He was not a good example for me. He didn't do it to whatever. He took my place. He paid the penalty due me. And who killed Christ ultimately? We did. We did, but who? who God killed him. And why did God kill his son?
0: Because he loved
1: us. Because he loved us, and that was the only way back. And by the way, the son was not dragged to the cross under protestation, saying, I don't want to do this. He did it voluntarily. For the joy, Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I said, well, what do you mean, what's that business in the garden where he said, you're not my will but thine? Well, he's going to take upon himself the sin of the world, and that's not something he's looking forward to. If there was another way to do it, he would have liked that. But he said, nevertheless, not my will but what? Yours be done.
0: That was to glorify the Father also.
1: It's to glorify God. It's to vindicate God's righteousness.
0: It's to live off the perfect sacrifice.
1: He is the perfect sacrifice. Only He could do it. And that's what it says here. He is the Son. He came. To, he was not forced to the cross. He did not do it under protestation. Because some people say, well, that's cosmic child abuse. God would never do that. And my answer is, on what basis do you say God would never do that? Well, we just don't think God would do that. But what did God say he was going to do? If you want to know what God is going to do, where do you go? You go to the Word of God. You don't go to your own little pea brain. I don't think God would do that. Well, what you think God would or would not do is irrelevant. What God said He's going to do is relevant, right? Amen. I don't like the fact that God sends people to eternal hell, but what did God say He's going to do? Separate. I got to go with that. But concerning his son, listen, who was descended from. Oh. Except it really
0: isn't God sending people. We send ourselves. They've people send themselves.
1: We, go, we, we reject. Because right, it's His. We don't want to, so yeah. To have us go there, which is the vicarious suffering of his son. Yep. But our choice sends us there. Our, our rebellion. Our rebellion. We rebel. And if, we, if left to ourselves, every human being would rebel. Mm-hmm. All of us would. But it says here, concerning his son, who was descended from David. Why did he say who was descended from David? What's he trying to point out there? His humanity. We're getting into something called the hypostatic union, the two natures of Christ. He Was he fully man? Yeah, in what sense was he fully man? Well, he was descended from David. How was he descended from David? Well, Joseph had the royal lineage, right? Even though Joseph was not his earthly father, Joseph was of the royal line. And Mary was also descended from David through another branch of the family, What's this idea of distant from David? He was fully human. What did the Old Testament scripture predict? I think it was the fully human aspect of him that said, you know, if it's it's possible to let this cup pass from me. Absolutely. He was going to literally hurt. Yeah. And he was going to take upon himself the sin of the world, and that that was repulsive to him. He didn't want to, you know, so he's fully human. He was descended from David. He had a human body. Um, In Hebrews, a body you have prepared for me. Why? Because it needed to be a sacrifice. Can you kill God? No. But the incarnated son could die in my place. And why else is he fully human? If he's fully human, what does he understand? He understands me. He sees with human eyes. Christ knows what it's like to be tired. He, know, he knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be thirsty and hungry and the limitations that we face. He's been there. To use a term that is used in Catholicism, but it has truth, he was our vicar. He was our vicarious yep. sufferer. Yeah. He took my, he's, he, he took my place. And, and when we go to Christ and we go to God in prayer and say, you know, Lord, you know, I'm really struggling with ABC, whatever this is. God says, you know, I, I, I relate to that because I've, mm-hmm. exp- I've, I've been there. Been there. Felt I felt that. Christ felt abandonment. He felt rejection. He felt the frailties that we face. He, in fact, it says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, wait a minute. If he's the son of God, he can't sin, right? Right. Well, then could he be tempted? Yes, he could. He just took it all the way to the end, right? Is temptation an infinite force? No. If it was, what could Satan force you to do? He can force you to sin. Satan can't force you to sin. Our problem is we cave into temptation long before the dial hits the red line, don't we? But Christ took it all the way to the end. He, he knows what it's like. He, he understands us. And what it says here is he was descended from David according to the flesh. The Old Testament talks about the Messiah being of the seed of David, son of David, son of David. That's one of the terms Christ used of himself. I am the son of David. Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Everybody knew he was the son of David. He was human, fully human, completely, totally, 100% human. But he was also what? Declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. How do you know he was fully God? What's it say? How do you know he was fully God? What proof do we have that he was God? He rose again. You want to know what Je- if Jesus is fully man? Yep. You want to know if he's fully God? How is he fully God? By the resurrection from the dead. Only God could pull that one off. Mm. Yeah. See, so we can all voluntarily die, but we all can't voluntarily rise again, can we? Yeah. And this was done by, through what? The agency of the Holy Spirit. And the fact that Christ rose again from the dead is God's, the Father's stamp of approval on what? The sacrifice is good. It's God's stamp of approval. It is finished. finished. Christ is declared to be human because he descended from David. Fully human. Christ is fully God. How do you know that? He rose again. He rose again from the dead. I have the power to lay my life down. I have the power to what? Take it up, Take it up again. Now we can do the first part, but we can't do the second part. He could, because he's God. And this word "declared" there's a very fascinating Greek word, horizo. What do you think? What word do you think we get from horizo? Horizo. Put an N on the end of it. Horizon. What is the horizon? When you look out at the ocean and you see the horizon, what is that? That's the line between where the water meets the sky. It's the the dividing line. Paul is saying the dividing line between Jesus being... Being fully God is that what? He rose again from the dead. That forever separates him as being God. He's forever seen as God because that's something that only God could do. We couldn't do that. And people say, well, I don't understand how he could be fully God and fully man. I mean, God is omnipotent. Christ was finite. Well, technically was Christ finite in his incarnation. But why was he finite? He allowed himself to be finite. What did he say? I can right now call 12 legions of angels. and I'm, I can call them right now. He could do that. But what did he not do? He did not do it because he was under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And whatever he did was under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not that he did not have omnipotence. He didn't exercise it. Did he have omniscience? Did he know everything? But he did not exercise it. Now, that's something we're not going to be able to figure out. Just don't try it. You're not going to, it's not going to work. You're just going to have to go with this thing. It's a fancy word called the kenosis, the self-emptying of Christ. He voluntarily gave up his attributes of deity. Well, I don't, I, I, That's a bad word. He did not give up his attributes of deity. He came up the exercise of the attributes of his deity. He can't unbecome what he is. Christ could not say, I've decided I'm going to give up my divinity for a while. He can't do that. Because who holds the world together? So if he gives up his divinity, what happens to the universe? It goes back to nothing. So he can't do that. But he can limit himself. And Paul is saying, if you look in the Holy Scriptures, it talks about his son who came. It talks about him being of the seed of David. It also talks about him being the son of God, fully divine. And if you list all the attributes of deity and humanity, you list them all down, there is no contradiction. And some people say, well, wait a minute. If he is fully human, he can't be because he wasn't sinful. Well, is sin a necessary component of what it means to be human? No. No. no, first no sin. Adam and Eve weren't sinful, right? That's right until we are you going to be fully human in heaven? Right. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. yeah, but you're not going to be sinful. Just so happens all the humans we know are sinful. But the point is, that's not a necessary component of what it means to be a human being. Now Paul is saying, we know that this, this gospel was there. It was in the Holy Scriptures. We saw it and we know he is God because of he was resurrected from the dead. We know he's human because he's at the seed of David. It was all there. This is no, this is no surprise. It, it was there in the Holy Scriptures. And we've got to stop there because we're out of time. But we'll pick up with verse five next week. But what you see here in the first seven verses—look at all of the theology that's here. You got the gospel, you got salvation, you got Jesus Christ, you've got him fully human, fully divine. You got Paul being separated to the gospel. You got the calling of—I mean, there's just so much there. You got well, that's really going to be spelled out later on, but it implied in the gospel, good news is what. Justification, we can be declared right with God. And how is that? Through Christ. Listen, and that's just what you're at in verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. How have I received the grace of God and salvation? Christ. No Christ, no salvation. So that's where we're at. So any questions or anything?
0: Yeah, you referred to the... at and Becking and Call, which he did. But I was thinking back when Elijah or was Elijah wanted to, but anyways, they was being uh, surrounded by the enemy. And, I mean, there was no way they're gonna get out of this, okay? And then he, the Lord opened his eyes. You, you can see the the legions of angels all around. I think he opened the enemy's eyes Yeah.
1: Too. And when well, when he
0: them, they went boom.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well that was remember he was surrounded by the armies, I think, of Syria or whatever. Yeah. And uh, his servant came in and said, we're done for, we're screwed. I mean, we're, we're surrounded, there's no way out of this. And Elijah sort of says, oh, Lord, open his eyes. Yeah. You know, and God opened his the servant's eyes. and He saw the armies of the Lord encamped yeah. around them. Yeah, um, woke up
0: too.
1: Big, yeah, God, look, Christ is fully God. When he was on this earth, he was every bit divine. He was the eternal second member of the Trinity. But because of the joy set before him, he set aside his rights and his prerogatives and decided to become like one of us so that he could redeem us. And that is something I will never lose the wonder of. I'll never lose the wonder of that. Why, why would he do that? I mean, if I was God, I would just erase the universe and start it over again. Try something different. But he didn't. So. Probably. (laughs) It was his plan. (laughs) From eternity past. He
0: created us in his image.
1: Yep. Because he wanted to. It was his pleasure. Father, thank you for this day and for the study we've had. And we thank you for the wonder of salvation. I, I think sometimes we just don't appreciate it like we should. We don't fully comprehend the glory of what it means to be a believer. And um, we're amazed, Father, that your son came and voluntarily gave up the robes of glory to become one of us and live with us and represent you to us and then finally die for us so that someday we could stand in your presence redeemed and holy and worship you forever. Thank you for that. Thank you for the word that you've taught us, and I pray that we would ponder these truths today and this week, and that would change our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening.
0: This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.